Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host tonight, Shantae Charles. I hope that you're having a great and wonderful day. It is Teachable Tuesday, and it is also uh, the day of the passing of someone who um, was a profound gift to the world. So I want to take a moment as we begin our program tonight, and I want to just take a moment of silence to honor the life and to honor the work and to honor the ministry of Apostle Larry Hill. He touched so many lives in various ways, and I know he touched my life personally, and I just want to take a moment to just give a moment of silence as we remember his work and again his life and his ministry. Thank you for doing that with me. So this has been obviously um, some news that just came and uh, we are just going to continue to lift up his family and uh, respect their wishes in terms of his legacy. I know that there are, you know, there will be some uh, upcoming plans more than likely, um, but we just thank God for Apostle Hill and we thank God for who he was and what he meant to the world. And I can say with a surety that um, I am doing probably what he would want most of us to be doing right now. And that is walking in our purpose, walking in our calling, and continuing to follow in the will and purpose and plan of God to express ourselves in the way that God has called us to be expressive in the earth and to do that with the with the mindset that what we're doing for Christ will last. So tonight we're going to go into looking at some black poets as we continue to move through Black History Month. And then we're also going to just look at one woman on tonight, so we aren't going to uh, be very long. We'll take about 30 to 40 minutes tops. And I want to start with this book called The Black Poets. It's a new anthology edited by Dudley Randall, and it's very, very powerful. There are some current black poets in here. There are um, poets from all centuries in here, um, black poets like Phyllis Wheatley, and Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and James Weldon Johnston, uh, Langston Hughes, Claude McKay, Jean Toomer, Gwendolyn Brooks, um, June Jordan, Don L. Lee, James W. Thompson, A.B. Spellman, Nikki Giovanni. So it is full of wonderful poetry, and I want to get into some of it tonight. I like how this book is broken down. It's supposed to be representation of a full range of Black American poetry. But I like the fact that 
it is broken into several sections and we'll be just reading through some of them tonight. I have a few uh, marked that I want to get to. But it starts out with folk poetry and what they call folk seculars, which are sort of words and poems and sayings that came out of um, the early time here in America. It came out of enslavement. Then they have he has a section called literary poetry from Lucy Terry, Phyllis Wheatley, Francis Harper, James Weldon Johnson, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And then he has a section on the Harlem Renaissance poets like Claude McKay and Jean Toomer, Langston Hughes, County Cullen. And then that section runs until he gets to the 1960s. And then it covers into the 1960s and then it ends with um, the 1960s. So I really like um, this anthology because it kind of shows you that the themes are very much the same. It's, it's really amazing as I started looking through here at some of the poems and I thought about some of my own poetry and realized, wow, we have really been walking through some of the same things in our nation for so long that even as a poet or a writer or an artist, it's like as you create, your voice gets added to the chorus of Black life, the chorus of Black power, the chorus of Black pain and Black struggle. And when you begin to look on the poets of the past, you realize that this is a unique experience and it's also a experience that unites you to a specific group and body of people and that it's not just you that's been saying these things which is why to me it's so important um, to look back on our elders who are paving the way but also in that paving they have left you know what the scriptures calls landmarks they've left a trail and that trail helps you to mark what's already been said what's already been done what is even already owed to us as a people and the fact that there is a written record of these things being hashed out from decade to decade from century to century and at some point, there is going to come a time where all things will be reconciled back to the Father. All things. All things. Today, right along with some of the poetry we're going to read, today, there was a verdict that came down. I always tell people, February 22nd, if you look at world history, it's a very significant date for historical events that have taken place. And today marked the federal ruling in the Ahmad Arbery murder trial, because he was murdered, where people looked past the tie and the suit and the glasses of the three white males, and they looked at their digital footprint. They looked at their history of hatred and they decided, as I told people 
at the beginning when that murder of Ahmad Arbery first happened, I put it on record that this was not an ordinary thing. This was not about who they didn't know. This was premeditated. And so, yes, they were charged today with a hate crime. Now, they're already going to, to prison for life, but this is going to be life sentence on top of life sentence. But I think it's important that for one of the rarest of times, three white men in America were charged with a hate crime and convicted and sentenced. That's historically significant. That from the federal level, they made that decision that yes, indeed, you are guilty. So I said to myself, how many white supremacists are gonna go run to their digital media and to their text messaging and to their inbox messages and start trying to erase evidence because what got them in trouble was not their social media presence. What got them in trouble was their internal text messages to each other. So we do thank God for that victory in the trial in that judgment on today. So this first poem is called Folk Poetry, Walk Together Children. Walk together children, don't you get weary. Walk together children, don't you get weary. Oh, talk together children, don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Sing together children, don't you get weary. Sing together children, don't you get weary. Oh, shout together children, don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Gwanter mourn and never tire. Mourn and never tire. Mourn and never tire. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Oh, get you ready, children. Don't you get weary. Get you ready, children. Don't you get weary. We'll enter there, oh, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. This next, what they call folk secular, comes from Frederick Douglass's work, My Bondage and My Freedom, 1853. The song is, we raise the wheat. We raise the wheat, they give us the corn. We bake the bread, they give us the crust. We sift the meal, they give us the husk. We peel the meat, they give us the skin. And that's the way they take us in. We skim the pot, they give us the liquor and say that's good enough for the N-word. Again, our ancestors were very aware of how little they were getting out of this country. This is called From America by James M. Whitfield. America, it is to thee, Thou boasted land of liberty. It is to thee I raise my song. Thou land of blood and crime and wrong. It is to thee my native land from which has issued many a band to tear the black man from his soil and force him here to delve and toil. Chained on your blood moistened sod, 
cringing beneath a tyrant's rod, stripped of those rights which nature's God bequeathed to all the human race, bound to a petty tyrant's nod because he wears a paler face. From America. This next piece sure that it is the right name. This next piece is by Langston Hughes. It's called Justice. That justice is a blind goddess, is a thing to which we black are wise. Her bandage hides two festering sores that once perhaps were eyes. American Heartbreak. I am the American heartbreak, the rock on which freedom stumped its toe, the great mistake that Jamestown made long ago. Words like freedom. There are words like freedom, sweet and wonderful to say. On my heartstrings, freedom sings all day, every day. There are words like liberty that almost make me cry. If you had known what I know, you would know why. And finally, the last poem that I'll be reading tonight is coming from James Emmanuel. It's called Negritude. Black is the first nail I ever stepped on. Black the hand that dried my tears. Black is the first old man I ever noticed. Black the burden of his years. Black is waiting in the darkness. Black the ground where hoods have lain. Black is the sorrow misted story. Black the brotherhood of pain. Black is a quiet iron door. Black the path that leads behind. Black is a detour through the years. Black the diary of the mind. Black is Gabriel Prosser's knuckles. Black Sojourner's naked breast. Black is a schoolgirl's breathless mother. Black, her child who led the rest. Black is the purring of a motor. Black, the foot when the light turns green. Black is the last year's dusty paper. Black, the headlines yet unseen. Black is a burden bravely chanted. Black, cross of sweat for a nation's rise. Black is a boy who knows his heroes. Black, the way a hero dies. If you are a lover of poetry and you want to be introduced to some new poems, I highly recommend The Black Poets, an anthology compiled by Dudley Randall. It's available wherever books are sold. And finally, we're going to be looking at A Black Woman Did That, 43 Boundary-Breaking, Bar-Raising, World-Changing Women, and tonight, the subject of our reading is dun, 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 Ms. Angela Davis. Angela Yvonne Davis. Angela Davis and her three siblings were raised by a mother who taught elementary school and a father who owned a gas station. They did well for themselves and their children, but life wasn't easy. The town they lived in, Birmingham, Alabama, earned the nickname Bombingham 
because of racial violence perpetrated by white supremacists and hate groups such as the Ku Klux Klan. The American neighborhood where they lived was even known as Dynamite Hill because attacks there were so common. Some of my earliest childhood memories are the sounds of dynamite exploding, she said in a speech. Homes across the street from where I grew up were bombed when they were purchased by black people who were moving into a neighborhood that had been zoned for whites. A white man named Robert Shambliss became known as Dynamite Bob for his role in the violence, including as many as 21 bombings in Birmingham alone. In 1963, he committed his most infamous act. Along with other Klan members, he bombed the 16th Street Baptist Church, killing four girls who were there for Sunday school. The girls were known to the Davis family. They all lived nearby. Violence was very much the norm, Angela recalled. But black communities in the South were unable to depend on law enforcement. So they organized themselves into militias to defend and protect their own families. Angela's father was a member of one of those armed patrols. Angela showed an ability to lead and a knack for organizing early on. While in high school, she organized her peers, black and white, into study groups to look at and discuss ways to fight racism. Local police would arrive to break up their gatherings, falsely accusing them of causing a disturbance. The young people were coming together across racial lines in peace, and their First Amendment right to peacefully assemble was being denied to them. When Angela was 15, she participated in an exchange program that placed black children from the South with white families in the North so they could attend school. She ended up at Elizabeth Irwin High School in New York City, where she says, we read the Communist Manifesto, Manifesto and where we read Freud. She explained, it was a high school that had been created by a number of teachers who had been blacklisted in the public school system because of their politics. After that, she studied French literature at Brandeis University in Massachusetts, spending her junior year in France at the prestigious university known as the Sorbonne. In her last year at Brandeis, she began to study philosophy, which led to a scholarship at a university in Frankfurt, Germany. She remained politically engaged while she was abroad, participating in demonstrations against the Vietnam War. Angela later completed her doctorate in philosophy. Back home in the United States, Angela sought out others who shared what she called her love for oppressed people. She joined a communist party and then the Black Panther Party. Both groups advocated for justice in those, for those in society who suffered the most, the poor and people of color. Communists believed that fields, factories, mines, and machinery should be owned by the public and regulated by the government. Under communism, their goal was to distribute the wealth and resources of a country in an equal way. Capitalists, on the other hand, believe in private ownership and a more hands-off approach from the government with less regulation of business. In 1969, Angela began teaching at the University of California, Los Angeles. By all accounts, she was popular among her students, but after being accused of being a communist by an undercover FBI agent, she was fired. She went to court and got her job back, only to lose it again for using inflammatory language. She said later in interviews, one of the things that really impressed me when I was on the streets and fighting for my job was that whenever I spoke to black people, whenever I spoke in the black community, very few people had hangups about communism. In fact, 
Many rather assume that if she was drawing criticism, there might be something to it. Police brutality and bias against African-Americans in the courts of law were a big problem in the 1960s, and that became the focus of her social justice work. Outspoken people of color, such as a young man named George Jackson, were especially targeted. They became political prisoners. Jackson had been sentenced to one year in life in prison, to one year to life in prison, excuse me, after being accused of stealing $70 from a gas station. Rather than just do his time quietly, he continued to speak out against injustice. He was then accused of another crime, killing a prison guard during a riot. Angela got involved with his case. She worked with his family, particularly his brother Jonathan, who was also an activist. On August 7, 1970, Jonathan showed up in a California courtroom with guns, demanding the release of his brother. He and three others were killed when shots were exchanged with police as he attempted to leave the courtroom with hostages. Angela was not in the courtroom, but guns used by Jonathan were registered in her name. So she was charged with the crimes herself. She went into hiding and was placed on the FBI's list of 10 most wanted fugitives. She herself became a political prisoner upon her arrest. Her family, including her sister, Fania, launched a campaign to ensure justice for Angela. Free Angela was printed on buttons and posters that were worn and posted all over by her supporters in and out of the black community and indeed all over the world. Now famous for her bravery, she became a powerful symbol of black pride. She sported the kind of huge, perfectly formed Afro hairdo and wore the miniskirt that were the style of the day. Her striking appearance made her look like the revolutionary she was. Finally, after 20 months of struggle, the courts found her not guilty of any crime. The campaign to set her free was a victory. Later that year, she spoke on a California college campus for the first time since she was fired from one in 1970. She said, the major problem we are confronting today is the problem of racism. Black and brown and Asian and native have always been the first victims of oppression and repression. But I think that white people in this country, particularly white working people, should begin to understand that they too are exploited and they too can be victims of repression. Angela returned to teaching and writing, publishing books and papers, and continuing her activism. She remains a sought after speaker and was named a co-chair of the Women's March on Washington after the inauguration of 2017. She said from the stage during that event, at this very challenging moment in our history, let us remind ourselves that we, the hundreds of thousands of millions of women People, men, women, and youth who are here at the Women's March represent the powerful forces of change that are determined to prevent the dying culture of racism and heteropatriarchy from rising again. We recognize that we are collective agents of history and that history cannot be deleted like web pages. She remains a champion of the rights of the oppressed and continues to fight for the well-being of all people. All right, so that was our reading for tonight. If you are have been listening by Anchor, I want to thank you tonight for your time and attention, and thank you for allowing me to honor uh, Apostle Larry Hill, who has gone on to be with the Lord on today. If there is something that you would like to uh, share tonight, you can um, log into the 
IG and we've got about 15 minutes so we can have some discussion tonight. Again, if you're listening by Anchor, thank you for tuning in and we hope to see you back tomorrow evening. Take care and good night.